Is Jesus enough? Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, August 1st, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The multiplication of the loaves and fishes points to the God of life who brings blessing. Jesus, the bread from heaven, comes to give us eternal life and blessing in this life and the next. Reverend David Pelegi challenges us with the question, do we believe Jesus does satisfy, or do our undisciplined desires convince us that what God provides is not enough? Exodus 16, verses 2 to 4 and 9 to 15. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died at the Lord's hands in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight, you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. It's the word of the Lord. Our next reading, Psalm 78, beginning with verse 23. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna, For the people to eat, he gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food that they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens and by his power made the south wind blow. He rained meat down on them like dust, birds like sand of the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp all around their tents. They ate till they were gorged. He had given them what they craved. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from John chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Please stand for the good news. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, 
they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Verily, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The works of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread and comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will neither go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we read, we have heard that the words of your Son, Jesus, are spirit and life. So, indeed, we pray that that life-giving spirit will be here amongst us to minister, to encourage, to bless, again, to challenge us. And Lord, to be that instrument of uh, transformation, of change and maturity, that each one of us as individuals and even as a community can be led into wholeness, and ultimately into holiness, so that we indeed may please you and bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. I think we mentioned, we did mention last week that um, the wise committee people, folks, some back room somewhere, always take the summer and year B and uh, present us with uh, five Sundays of John chapter 6. It's not only important to those who write the lectionary, but indeed it's been important to the Christian community from the beginning. And so while these words, or while this uh, section of scripture certainly has uh, at times been controversial uh, and even (coughs) misunderstood, 
think ultimately where it takes us is in a Eucharistic direction. This has been the understanding, again, of the, of the church, of the believers uh, from the beginning. And I think if we want to challenge that, we should have very good reason to do so. But that comes at the end. For now we're, for now we're building up. And last week, may I remind you that we started John chapter 6 by uh, reading the multiplication, the feeding of the 5,000. And this feeding of the 5,000, um, as I mentioned, really presents a challenge, I think, to all of us. And that challenge is how to take that, that particular miracle and what we read in the weeks to come, how to take these stories and these phrases, which we've heard over and over, and many of us have heard them for years. Some of us growing up in the faith have heard them all our lives. Yes, how do we turn them from cliches, maybe, or empty phrases into a current reality? Or how do we re... I don't want to say reimagine, but how do we make this, again, for many of us, a living reality? And hear the words, I am the bread of life, or I am the bread that comes down from heaven, oftentimes goes in one ear and out the other. And so we begin, actually, by just... I'd like to begin by summarizing a few things that we said last week. Because if you're like me, you probably forget the sermon 15 minutes after it was after it was preached. But last week, when we talked about the multiplication of the, the loaves and fishes, we talked about them. It talked about it in the context of the Hebrew Bible, or of the story of Israel, uh, and the. St- in relationship to the God of Israel. And perhaps you remember a saying saying that the multiplication story points to a God, yes, who is a God of life. Yes, in the beginning, God is the one who creates. And of course, in the midst of his creation, or the, one of the purposes of his creation is actually to bring blessing. And when we start the story of uh, start the story of Israel with Abraham, God calls Abraham to be a blessing, while at the same time Abraham will be blessed. And the God of life, yes, this God of life is one who wants to give or to share his life with his people. And the story of the Exodus, which is the best way to read our gospel passage today or to read it in that context. The story of the Exodus begins, um, doesn't quite begin, but uh, it, uh, it, well, it does begin. The Exodus from Egypt itself begins with the so-called, with the, with the, the first Passover. And the, people of Israel put 
blood on their doorpost. And oftentimes we think, oh, it's something to do with sin, but it's nothing to do with sin. It's to do with death. It's so that the angel of death will pass over and that the people of Israel will be spared. And throughout their entire journey, or you might say their entire time uh, in the wilderness, from the day they leave Egypt until the day they come into uh, the, uh, the land, the, the gift that God gives them, yes, it is one in which God is uh, preserving life or providing life for his um, people. He, of course, as we read, he provides for them in the desert. He feeds his people. He gives them the Torah, yes, the law, the commandments. We don't think of that as a gift, but as we read last week from Deuteronomy, uh, God says, I'm t telling you these things for your own good. And even the land of Israel, yes, is a place of life and it's a place of blessing. And the Exodus story ends with God telling his people, you know, now choose life. Don't choose death. Life is found in trust and life is found in obedience. And death is found in disobedience. And so in the context is that the context of our, uh, our gospel passage is found in the Hebrew Bible, a God of life. And this is very um, odd to me why some people say, I don't like the Old Testament. It's all full of death and killing. Yes. But it is the, the overarching narrative. Yes. Again, is one of blessing. And indeed, it's one of life. And... Sometimes people say, well, yeah, those people back there, they disobeyed and they constantly didn't believe, but it really doesn't have so much to do with us. And therefore, we don't need to either read or study or to digest the, the story of Israel. But actually, we do, because those ancient Israelites or the Jews that we so-called, quote-unquote, Jews that we read about in John's gospel, they're no different than we are. Yes, it's a very human story. And so therefore we need to pay we need to pay close attention. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says their story is your story. Pay attention, pay careful attention to how people reacted to God's goodness in the desert. And learn a lesson from their failures. And so, in the midst of God giving provision to his people, especially manna, you may recall that we mentioned that these were signs, right? They were not merely God bringing blessing or provision to his people. Yes, as God, the God of life, will certainly do. But God brings God uh, provided for his people in this way in order to point to something uh, higher, you might say, in order to point to, the, to something supernatural. And I'd like to read this verse again because I think it not only 
relates to the people of Israel 3,000 years ago, but it certainly relates to us today and our gospel passage. And the verse was from Deuteronomy 29. During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine uh, or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Right? That God's care and provision, yes, pointed to yes, a higher reality. That they would know who God is. Yes, and uh, the proper response yeah, to that uh, to that goodness, and we read this in other places as well. Deuteronomy chapter eight says, "Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these forty years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would know whether you would keep His commands. He humbled you by causing to hunger." and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the same chapter, verse 16, goes on to say, he gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you. So in the end, it might go well with you. So that it might go well with you. And so these verses and more, yes, point to um, God's, you might say, <clears throat> intention and uh, dealing with his people. And what is it that caused the people of Israel problems? Yes, what was... What was their, you might say, their issues? What was it about manna that um, they did not uh, either prefer or they rebelled against? Well, over and over again, especially in Psalm 78, talked about how people, how the people of Israel, are no different than the many of us in the church today, yes, continually tested the Lord. Yes. Didn't live out of faith or out of a certain expectation, but continued to push and push uh, and to want more. And of course, Psalm 78 goes on to mention uh, not only a num numerous times that the people of Israel tested the Lord. Yes. But they also rebelled against him. And ultimately, that rebellion or that testing, yeah, comes out or came out of a human restlessness. And that restlessness uh, goes all the way back to the garden. Here is Adam and Eve. Everything is perfect. Nothing uh, was going wrong. Use the American expression, they had it made in the shade. Yes, they're in paradise and Eve wants more. She's not satisfied. And there's this sense that God is holding out on us. He's not giving us all that we deserve or all that we have the right to. I want more. 
more, more. Yes, and it's in that lust or that desire, yes, that we have, that the fall of the human family occurs. And of course, we see it with Israel in the desert, do we not? Yes. God, you're not treating me the way I deserve. I need something better. I need something more. What, who you are and what you're giving is somehow not sufficient for me. Not sufficient for me. Yes. And it's that, uh, you might say, undisciplined desire that does nothing but cause trouble, not only for the people of Israel, but certainly uh, for us as well. But God being the God of life, yes, not only enables his people to survive from one generation to the next, but of course, uh, in the midst of giving life, wanted to give blessing. And as I mentioned to you before, that blessing, of course, uh, whether it's the blessing from with Abraham, Israel, or our blessing, is always contingent on always contingent on our our obedience. And so our passage is I suppose very typical for John. Jesus does a miracle or a sign. And as we mentioned last week, the signs that Jesus does, uh, or the signs that Jesus did in John's gospel, these signs, yes, are to um, bring us, yes, to a place of belief. Yes, Jesus does the, these miracles so that we ourselves will come to believe. Now, we might think, or we might confuse, um, at least in John's gospel, belief with faith. But belief and faith in John's gospel are a little bit different. Yes. Because faith as a noun, faith is something that we possess or something that uh, God gives us as a gift, doesn't exist. Yeah, 98 times the word belief occurs in the gospel, and 98 times it's a verb. It does something. Yes, it's not passive, and it's not just a doctrine or some kind of belief in, this, in the sense that, hey, I believe in something. Right? Belief is trust. Right? Belief is abiding. Belief is commitment to a person. Belief is an active relationship. There's an active relationship. And here we have the, the Jesus himself who's going to talk about life and how that we, yes, can get life. But the challenge for each one of us will be, yes, are we willing to believe in the most deep-seated way? Or are we still, how does the song go? Still, uh, still can't find what I'm looking for. Are we still dissatisfied? 
Yes. Or we convince that somehow God is holding out on us or that actually what he wants to give us isn't enough or sufficient for the needs that we have. And so Jesus works a miracle, and the miracle, again, is a sign pointing to who he is, that indeed he comes from God, that he's the Son of Man, the Messiah, the the Son of God, and even God himself. Yes, because... Here, Jesus identifies himself with bread, and bread being the staple of life, I guess. Bread being uh, probably the most common symbol, yes, for for, uh, one of the most common symbols for for life and uh, the satisfaction of our hunger. Jesus, of course, calls himself, calls himself the bread of life, and surely people don't understand. And of course, thinking of bread, they, they relate to or connect to the story of the Exodus. Uh, and they say, yes, Moses provided bread for us in the wilderness. And Jesus, of course, reminds them it wasn't Moses, right? But that uh, it, was, uh, it was God himself. He said, it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Yes, and gives life to the world. And certainly all through the Hebrew Bible, the one who gives life and the one who gives food is God himself. So Jesus is making some very revolutionary, even audacious claims about himself. And that claim, first and, for, first and foremost, is that, that he is divine and that uh, he is God. And uh, it is something that uh, certainly many of us, many who are believers, uh, take issue with or we stumble over. Somehow we can't see that, how it might be relevant. And very often, uh, in a world of multiculturalism and in a world on which everything is relative, we very often minimize, even if we don't do it knowingly, yes, the uniqueness of Jesus and his claims to meet the most basic of all human needs. So sometimes this indeed is a is that you might say a sticking point. And we oftentimes have a hard time getting, some some will have a hard time, uh, some will have a hard time getting past it. And the, the offer is not simply bread that comes down from heaven. The offer is that this bread brings life or gives life. And again, In the Hebrew Bible, the one who gives life is God himself. But the life that's being spoken about here is not, you might not physical life or not biological life. It is eternal life. And eternal life, eternal life for this gospel, for the fourth gospel, for how what Jesus teaches us and in John, 
is indeed something that begins in the here and now. John 17.3 says, Jesus defines eternal life for us. This is eternal life. Yes, that we may know him and his son, Jesus the Messiah. So eternal life is a relationship with God. And of course, this relationship with God is not destroyed or not affected by death because it continues after we die. And I know we've mentioned this over and over again, but I, I think it's important to emphasize every time we come to passages such as these, yes, that we've reduced eternal life only to something, only to something that happens after we die. And we walk around saying, are you saved? Do you know where you're going? Are you going to heaven when you die? That's an important question. But the more, perhaps, even a more essential question for the day and age in which we live, are you experiencing heaven before you die? Yes. Have you entered into a relationship through with the Father, <coughs> through Jesus the Son? Have you experienced Jesus, yes, as the bread of life? Meaning, have we experienced, are we experiencing a reality in which Jesus or that relationship with the Father through Jesus the Son, yes, is meeting the most basic and fundamental of our human needs. Because that's what Jesus claims. Claims that if we believe in him, we will not hunger or thirst. Pretty audacious and pretty radical. And I know many believers throughout history, yes, have experienced, they have experienced that reality. But for many of us, it just might be a cliche or a phrase or something that we parrot, yes? Because we don't fully or totally believe, yes? We're not totally willing to trust. We might trust a little, yes? We might abide a little. We might commit ourselves to the person of Jesus a little. But for one reason or another, we can't be sure. We can't be sure. I'm not really fully certain that God, through Jesus and being in relationship with them, can meet my needs. After all, I'm lonely. After all, I'm anxious about the future. After all, you know, I'm too easily distracted. I'm too easily distracted. I've got a career to worry about. And maybe, you know, he will bless me, but I better kind of get this on my own. 
thing about belief in John's gospel is that uh, those that Jesus encounters, um, and perhaps this will encourage us. You know, it's a process. Trusting the Lord, abiding with him, yes, making time and effort for a relationship with him is a process. And sometimes it starts slowly. And uh, you see this um, in some of the encounters that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman, for example, or the man born blind in John chapter 9. That man... First, you know, Jesus heals him, and then Jesus is a prophet, and then Jesus is someone who worships God, and finally the blind man himself is worshiping Jesus. And of course, we're no different. We're no different in that relationship that we, you know, we have... uh, we have with the Lord. I would suggest that many of us are malnourished and starving. I think all human beings hunger spiritually. The question is, what are we going to, how are we going to try to satisfy that hunger? And especially for those who call upon the, for us who call upon the name of the Lord, who's we be, oftentimes begin a journey, and as I said last week and even the week before, we some, we get stuck somewhere along the way, and we begin to think to ourselves, well, maybe this doesn't work. You know, maybe it's all these claims that Jesus makes; they're not quite cracked up. You know what they're uh, what they're made to be. And maybe the church is just preaching something that's not true. But on the other hand, millions and millions of Christians have indeed, yes, found that if you remove the obstacles. Yes, this human dissatisfaction or our tendency to rebel or our tendency to look for solutions or look for answers in the idols of our age or in the broken places of our heart. Many millions of believers have found that it is indeed true. Yes, that Jesus does satisfy and that Jesus indeed is that uh, one who brings life, eternal life. And the way that we respond to that gift and enter that life, yes, according to the many passages in John's gospel, in fact, usually there are They're parallelisms. Jesus says in verse 35, he says, he who comes to me and, yes, will never go hungry, and he who believes will never be thirsty. So coming to Jesus 
yes, and entering into a relationship with him or believing in him in the sense that we're willing to put our complete trust in him. We're going to stay with him, abide with him, enter into relationship with him and stick with it and be committed to him as a person because that's also what the word means. But indeed, we find ourselves encountering or being given life, eternal life, life before death, an answer to the problems that um, we may face. And believe me, our problems are not our problems. Our problem is not racism or patriarchy. Our problem is not uh, the Arab-Israel conflict or too many taxes or liberalism or conservatism. Our answer, our problem is sin and the death that it brings into the world. And indeed, eternal life is the answer to that problem. And so let's just take a minute and to do something that all of us should do at home. But let's start now. It's not so easy in the context of a um, of a congregation works better in a retreat. But let's just take a moment and pray together. And let's just bring before the Lord those places in our lives where we have uh, a certain dissatisfaction or even a certain hunger. Yes, an emotional, spiritual hunger. And again, it could be loneliness or it could be an anxiety, could be uh, envy, could be lust and our propensity to be addicted to one thing or another or our inability to fully, fully trust God because the church let me down 20 years ago or my father wasn't the person he was supposed to be. So let's just bring these before the Lord and then let's invite the Lord to come. Yes, and to bring us, bring us the bread of heaven or the bread that comes down from heaven himself and ask for the grace and the ability to trust him and to meet the needs, to meet those places that we will continue to um, find ourselves hungry and thirsty. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. 
You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.